When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Divining, like everything else, is simply exerting muscular power within the brain. The brain, after all, is a sort of muscle. And the more you flex that ability and the stronger you get, the more sure you are of the constant results. Things can't go wrong, eventually, if you do it properly. Well, I, I don't think really it's a muscular power. It's some... Your body uh, is a sort of a receiver of these rays, you see, which uh, you activate in some peculiar way, and then that is transferred to your forearm of your right hand, and the muscles of them react, and that then makes the pendulum gyrate, you see. I read about it about a fellow in Longford one time in a paper and how he could do it and, and he started to divine for gold and lost articles so I followed it up and found out I was all right at I could do it all right. Well I got a sovereign and was hit him and so I got it. So that was as simple as that. Yeah but you just my didn't walk got, out and, and, no, my and children, find it. Well I, did, I got a cup of wire and tied it up and down until it reacted and so that's how I just got, got more, more sovereign. It just turned up in your hand. Yeah, it turned up, yes. Turned up. No, turned downwards. 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 What it turns up. Mm-hmm. Here's a stick turns downwards and the copper wire will turn down to the to this object that you're coming over. And why is that? Well, see, it draws it. If the magnetism is in you. Well, why should one go up and the other down? Well, I couldn't explain that. <laughs> I couldn't explain really that. I couldn't just suppose it's the way it goes, suppose. And you can't explain why you have this particular quality well, uh, a professional man told me a piece thing in mine and now people says it's you inherited and so I don't know where it comes from I got it from the dragon side of the family I don't know it was supposed to be the last way I got it there are a few things I never remember learning and one of them was smoking <laughs> I was left in first class for smoking and I never remember when I tried water the wedding first I mean we're at it mm-hmm. for generations now like and yeah. it is just coming yeah. From father to son all the time. Well, the father claimed he was the third generation in the Hart family. Well, we know his uncle did mark a well in Clannacilty town for the DC's bottling stock company. Well, it was the, the brewery in those days. And uh, that would make Donald now the fifth generation, fifth generation. In, in that, and probably they went back further. And there's offsets of the Hart family too, like Dan Fien and more of them. They're, yeah. they're all they're in, in the water business. Well, actually, I brought out another water diviner to my own farm to see if should I sink a well deeper, because uh, it just run dry in the summer. And I found, uh, fiddling around with his rod, I found that I was a better water diviner than he was myself. And uh, I uh, pursued water divining then for some time, but I got fed up with it. I think water divining is very simple. There's not much challenge in it. So then uh, I read... What I consider to be the most authentic book on divining is uh, Trinder, Dowsing by H. Trinder. It has gone out of print now. It is a pity it should be reprinted. And 
I read up the, the theory of it, and, and then there was a, a man, uh, an engineer missing in Ballybunnum, and he was missing for a long time, so we tried to find him. At that time, there were no, as years ago, there were no divers, and I came to the conclusion, uh, following him up and down the tide, that he was stuck under a rock, Corrigiela, and uh, that he'd never be found. And he was never found. Some people from different parts of the country who claim the ability to divine or prognosticate the presence of water, oil, minerals, missing persons or whatever, by means of a rod or pendulum, or even with no such apparatus at all. They practice a craft of great antiquity, which has affinities with such ancient practices as examining the entrails of sacrificed animals to ascertain knowledge of the future, obtaining omens from the behaviour of birds and animals, the observation of the stars in astrology, and so on. Divining played a large part in the civilization of the Egyptians, Greeks and Romans, and an etching of a diviner at work discovered in the Atlas Mountains of northwest Africa is said to be 8,000 years old. In Ireland, the art is probably equally ancient, and the mechanics have changed very little over the years. John McIver, retired teacher and active diviner from Clontarf in Dublin. The Y-shaped rod acts for some people, and the, uh, the pendulum uh, acts for others. It was Brennan Bean, as I think, who said, every cripple has his own way of walking, and every dummy has his own way of talking. Now, to this, I would like to add, every diviner has his own way of divining, and what would work with one person would not work with another. John McIver works with a pendulum. A rod, he says, will just not work for him. He tells us how he discovered he had this power as a diviner. In the school where I taught, <coughs> which was at the bottom of Hoth Road, uh, the gable of the school was falling out and you could see daylight of about four or five inches between the gable and the rest of the school building. And the caretaker of that school was a man called James Farr. Now, James Farr was a well-known diviner, and he, he, all his work really was in connection with water. He'd found wa- wells for very many people, including the late Sean T. O'Kelly, down in his uh, Wicklow home. And uh, I said to Farr, I think there must be something wrong with this Uh, there must be water underneath this room. He he said, I think there must be too. So he he brought down his his Y-shaped rod. He went over to the middle of the room. He got a fierce reaction, which almost twisted the rod out of his hand. And then after that, he he took a ball about an inch and a half in, in diameter. He then... <clears throat> put it down near the floor. It began, first of all, to go in the direction of the school. Then it gyrated in a circular uh, motion. It then went at right angles to the, pre- the, the former direction. It gyrated again and then went back to the original uh, direction again. And I, I said to Farr, would you let me try it? So he, he, gave, he handed it over to me, and I found that it worked for me. That must be in the 40s sometime. 
Simon Stone of Limerick describes himself as a water divining consultant and a radiesthetic specialist in water and map dowsing, but he's not a full-time diviner. He's interested, he says, in all things under the ground, and his interest began when he was employed by the health service in England. The more I read about it, the more I heard about map dowsing, and I was quite determined, I suppose, to make map divining work for me and to make it accurate, and uh, soon discovered the, the uses or values of it that people had mentioned before, that if you divine, would say, for an 80-acre farm, it saves walking all over the farm, that uh, in half an hour or an hour in the farmhouse, you can divine the water on the whole farm and pick the most likely uh, places and then examine them on site. It is uh, possible with a detailed um, examination to pick an exact site for drilling and predetermine the depth and the quality of the water even without even uh, visiting a site and uh, uh, one of the advantages of it then as far as uh, institutions are concerned or creameries with, <coughs> with a large number of boreholes it's possible to uh, do the map survey and then have the whole picture, be able to examine the whole picture and see which boreholes fall into which aquifers and so that any new boreholes won't extract water from an aquifer already supplying an existing borehole and you can see the whole thing at a glance, pick out the best places where you're going to get the biggest supply of water and this sort of information isn't, isn't on record then, it can be brought out and examined, discussed by engineers um, the water under the ground normally doesn't change course or direction uh, unless there's some major geological alterations such as earthquakes or something so a map we say divined by myself now could be brought out by engineers in 10 years time looking for a suitable supply of water they can drill from the map and get the supply of water at a predetermined depth While the technicalities of water divining may not have changed greatly over the years there's a greater curiosity nowadays about how and why it works and one hears much scientific and pseudo-scientific rationalisation of the craft Old-time diviners, for example, would not have been unduly concerned about whether or not they were working with the aid of alpha waves. Alpha waves, for some reason, do not seem to be produced naturally. We have to exercise our mind to produce them. And when people are divining, they apparently produce alpha waves. Now, for some reason, this makes the person relaxed. And uh, I have heard one quote where people who um, produced the alpha waves... Uh, in excess walked about in a dream they walked into buses and uh, various things and had accidents now alpha waves are not really fully understood neither is divining I think there, there is a tie up there about uh, eight years ago researchers in America discovered that by teaching young epileptics to produce alpha waves in other words they put them on uh, an EEG when the alpha wave is produced on the uh, scope a light comes on to tell the patient that he's just produced an alpha wave and so with a little bit of practice the patient can produce alpha waves at will and an epileptic who was only able to last uh, 48 
hours or slightly more without having serious epileptic fits on this alpha wave um, relaxation treatment was in fact able to go for months and months without an epileptic fit. When I started meditation, I do transcendental meditation, this was one of the first things that was stressed, that alpha waves are very good for you and that meditation helps to produce them instinctively in the brain. I find that when I douse, I experience an expansion of consciousness that comes very close to the <coughs> preliminary moments before I sink into deep meditation. You're almost going into the same area of the brain. It's one of the most relaxing things I know, dousing. You open yourself to people, you must, because otherwise you can't find out what they like. And to work with people, you must know them. It makes for better human relationships apart from anything else. A diviner is usually a pretty nice person to know because they're gentle. And that's a very good start. Nuala McInerney, an art teacher of the Cork branch of the Irish Society of Diviners. While she claims that dousing is a very relaxing exercise, she spoke also of a feeling of exhaustion after it. Not all diviners, of course, share her interest in such things as transcendental meditation and those engaged on the more practical side of the art tend to be very matter-of-fact about it. Simon Stone certainly doesn't go into a trance or anything like that by way of preliminary, and he can talk to people, he says, while he's divining. I can even divine off of maps on one knee with my little boy sat on the other knee, and um, I, I don't find it uh, tiring or, or difficult at all. And if, When I started, I had to concentrate... Um, on divining and whatever I was looking for, but now I can do it really without being aware of any concentration at all. The one diviner uh, I know of in Devon, once he does a divining job, he has to go to bed for three days. He's totally exhausted. I'm still very much a beginner, and I find myself becoming exhausted. After about a quarter of an hour, I seem to switch off, and I'll get the craziest answers. Something just won't behave properly. It's like a small child. Also, I find, I don't know about anybody else, I need about at least five minutes of warming up to kick that part of my brain into action. It's almost as though it's asleep for most of the day. It has to be really poked and pushed. Those people who use the rod, that is to say, the Y-shaped rod, they actually do... I have seen Mr Farrell himself, and he certainly has taken a lot out of him, you know. But in my case, it doesn't take anything out of me at all. And is it something that can be taught can, or that you could be trained to do? Well, now, according to some people who have written about this subject, some people, they say that it can be acquired. I don't believe that. You either have the talent or you haven't. Seamus Hart of Clonakilty in County Cork is another practical diviner. His brother Paddy works with him in drilling for wells and the like for county council and various institutions. And Paddy's son, Donal, continues the family tradition, but departs from the orthodox methods of dousing by using only his two thumbs placed together instead of a rod. Seamus uses a hazel rod, and apart from certain reactions in particular circumstances, does not experience any great trauma before or after divining. If you hold a copper coin between your fingers, and when you walk over water, it will slip from between your fingers. Why is that? It's some reaction. You, you lose the, the grip, you see, you lose it's the... It's some reaction to the coin, like, and it'll go out of your finger. And if you take the, the rod in and try it at that particular place, the rod will turn for water. 
the divining for minerals, of course, <coughs> it makes it more, much more advanced as w than water divining. And you can distinguish the different minerals, actually, by the different movement of the rod. For water, it will make a complete circle. Uh, if you stand square with the stream, anyway. But uh, for brightest, then you get three quarters of a circle back, backwards and forwards. And for iron and iron ores, you get a quarter in the top. And that is relevant to the geometrical formation of the molecule of that particular mineral. Hematite, now the iron, is this, uh, a sphere, you see. And the, the rod reaction then is a quarter circle up in the top. Whereas the pyramid type of molecule will give you a different movement and will be three quarters back and forward. So we can distinguish the no one from the other. Like we know the type of mineral that is being found from the the movement of the rod, and we know also you'll, you'll, that will correspond with the molecule of the, of the formation of the rock. You know. Supposing you held a rod over a tank of oil or something yeah, like that, well what happens? That's, that's uh, <coughs> one of the big problems. There's nothing happened. That's the strange thing, yes. It's static. If something yeah. static, yeah. if you hold a rod over something static, yeah. as for liquids, like, nothing happens. Yeah. It, it, must it must be, be under be, pressure. It must be the friction and the yeah. pressure. I, I maintain that uh, when you're dividing for mineral, you're not actually finding the lead or the silver or the gold. You're finding the reaction of water through a strata of that nature, the type of molecule where you'd find copper will give it a, the water will make a different turn on the rod in that particular strata line. And it isn't the mineral, actually it's the water that you're dividing all the time. And yet, with all the rationalising the dowsers may indulge in, there are many people who still maintain that it's all the work of the devil. It was in a reaction to that misconception that John McIver turned to what he calls diagnostic divining. Yes, I became interested in that because <clears throat> a lot of people think that diviners are people with, uh, I would say, ulterior motives and out to do harm to people. Far from that because uh, all diviners are really or should be amateurs. They do it for the love of the thing and they do it to help people. Now, in this respect, I have had many occasions when I think I have been able to help people. For instance, there was a lady who lives not very far from here who had a growth in her breast. She phoned me up and told me about it. I always carry my pendulum in my pocket. I took out the pendulum and I asked myself the question, has Mrs A got cancer? It didn't move for me at all. And I told her, Mrs. A, you need have no worries. You haven't got cancer. She went into hospital the next day, and it turned out to be a cyst. And after three days, she came back. And then she phoned me up again and thanked me for allaying her fears. Now, when you can do that sort of thing for people, I don't think you merit the condemnation that some people would pass upon you. Why would uh, some people condemn you, do you think? <clears throat> well, the th you, you see, the whole thing <clears throat> is tied up with what you may call the black art, which is something really which I have no knowledge of whatsoever. 
But in, for instance, in America, the whole idea of finding water was called water witching. Now, the peculiar thing is that in the French language, the word for um, uh, a diviner would be a sourcier. La source is the French for the spring, you see. And a sourcier is a person who uh, would find springs, be concerned with springs. Now, cutting out one letter, you get sorcier, which means a sorcerer, which has a very bad meaning altogether. And I thought that's how it may have developed. I know my family think I ride here in a broomstick every day. And I'm sure most people think that, people outside. They sort of turn away with a shudder and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that kind of thing. And we're perfectly normal, rational people who happen to have an interest which is a little bit unusual at this time. If you are sceptical about it, it will not work for you. I've tried to teach sceptics, or at least to show them that they can get a reaction, and no way can you get a sceptic to produce a divining reaction. And if you take someone who's not sceptical, you just call it a site to divine water for a, a builder or someone building their own bungalow, and if he believes in it, and you can see that he does, and you say, have a go, he will get a reaction. Potentially, he could be a diviner. He's, he's not because he couldn't locate it accurately, he couldn't depth it and so on, but if he wanted to learn it, he, he could be a diviner. And uh, eight, possibly nine out of p ten of the people that you meet in the street then could be um, diviners. Scientists are natural sceptics, trained to suspect anything that cannot be proved by reason and logic. What is the relationship then between the diviner and the geologist, for example? Geologists, they can use seismic surveys and locate geological faults. They can actually see it working, they can see how it works, they can prove, if necessary, how, how this system of finding geological faults works. And uh, a diviner can do the same thing in a few minutes with a pendulum and a map, locate geological faults, and uh, they just can't accept it. Uh, I don't believe that diviners, therefore, are going to do away with uh, geologists and so on. The two have a lot to offer e each other. And uh, the geologist is a specialist who knows all about geology. Unless the diviner is a qualified geologist, he's an awful lot to learn from the geologist. They make use of us and we make use of them. Like, they only make use of what they can see in the rock. They can see an impermeable rock from a permeable rock, and they make use of that and... I mean, we do the same, really, right. because you'll only get the water in the permeable, in the permeable rock, right? And They're making use of their knowledge and well, experience, and you're well, doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, well, they have yeah. to come to see cuttings in railways and, and uh, quarries where they can see the rocks showing somewhere, you know, and they build up their pattern from there. I suppose the ideal thing is where the two come together. Well, we're, we're actually doing yeah. it subconsciously most of the time. I mean, if you're driving into a farmer to do mac water for him, you're only looking around, but you notice the rock is showing in a field, or you notice the depth of soil in the ploughing or something. You're gaining knowledge every, every time you look over the ditch, like, you know? I think divining is uh, just one of um, a huge area of knowledge which, until now, was um, kept very secret and very privileged. You know, everything from herbalism to aquapuncture uh, to meditation and the rest of it. And I think this is coming about as a result of uh, young people questioning the uh, established 
um, ethics, if you like. Um, I find in my school young people don't accept what I accepted quite easily uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And I think that it is up to diviners to uh, work on the, the reason for, for divining. Um, somebody mentioned earlier about alpha waves. Well, alpha waves, any study you take, alpha waves seems to crop up again and again. Um, it crops up in this meditation. It crops up in um, uh, child psychology. Um, children um, emit a lot of alpha waves, much more than the other waves. Uh, it occurs in medical spheres. People who have very bad nervous problems seem to over-emit in beta rather than alpha waves. Uh, and I think it's just one of a whole area of knowledge. And I have found from my own interests that you cannot explore one area without bumping into all the other areas. And the reason now, you know, someone might ask, well, why has it waited until the late 70s for a, a, a revival of this interest? I think it's now that um, when people, you know, can feed themselves and clothe themselves and live fairly comfortably, now they're in a position to push back further. Sean Flynn, another member of the Cork branch of the Irish Society of Diviners, a teacher of science interested in the general area of knowledge that divining has led him into. In recent times, that area has been extending far from the business of water divining with which it has been traditionally associated. John McIver again. Within the last 40 years, I would say, there has been a a very great extension in the fields in which a diviner can operate. For instance, in connection with faults of any sort, faults in a motor car. Going over the various parts of a motor car, you can find out where your fault is by using a a pendulum. Or, if it's in a cable, a telephone cable, many of them today, you can find out where the fault is in the cable. And some of the members of our Society of Diviners have been used in that respect for that reason. Well, one thing I had in mind myself was where divining sort of strays into other fields like the occult and telepathy and things like that. What do you think of those? No, I I don't think divining has really anything to do with the occult. It may have something to do with, with a gift which God has given to you to be used by you in the extension of his kingdom on this earth. And telepathy, you don't think, has, has no, anything to do with it? No, I don't think telepathy has anything to do with it either. No, nothing whatsoever. Nuala McInerney, however, as we heard, would not rule out telepathy or the occult as unrelated to divining. And cosmic energy, she says, could also be involved. She has conducted experiments with specially constructed pyramids, for example, and she told us how these pyramids are made and what they do. Well, they're identical copies in cardboard or wood or any organic material of the Egyptian pyramids. The proportion has to be reasonably accurate. A couple of degrees in or out doesn't really matter. It's something to do with cosmic energy, which follows the spin of the Earth in a west-to-east direction. And it's a subtle thing, this energy. It passes right through the western side because it's streamlined. It presents no opposition. But when it hits the opposing eastern side, something stops it, and it bounces back. And rather like the sound energy of a bell, which resonates round and round and round, the energy can't escape for a while, and it's trapped. So you have a very powerful central area, which can be divided in three more or less equal parts. And each of those three 
varies according as it comes towards the next part. The bottom part is physically very relaxing. It has something to do with the theta waves that you meet in deep meditation. Dozers are very interested in particular in the question of polarity. Says David O'Hagan, secretary of the Cork branch of the Irish Society of Diviners. And uh, polarity is something you find in everything. It's the, the, uh, the plus and the minus quality of a substance. Some people might call it yin and yang. But if you take a piece of foil like this, which has been charged under a, a pyramid for any length of time, and you can, you can actually establish a plus and minus polarity in it. And you can do this in two ways, by uh, passing the uh, pendulum along the piece of foil. As it, as it rotates in a clockwise direction, you can establish that you're... Could you just do it there, David? Like this? Well, you, you can see the way the pendulum is rotating. Well, you can establish that this is the positive side of this piece of foil. Similarly, as you go to the other side, you'll get negative rotation. You'll find that that, ha that has a, a negative aspect. This is very important because this pattern of positive and negative is repeated in almost everything. It's repeated in water divining in many ways, and it's also repeated in the human body insofar as um, each side of the body has a positive and negative aspect, which can be found again with the pendulum. Some diviners, in fact, can find this polarity even using their hands. Uh, I'll just give you an example. By passing, over, by passing your hand over the, the, the piece of foil, you can, get, you can feel different disturbances in different levels. It's something you can do easily enough after a bit of experience. Yes, you feel a bit of vibration as vibration, to the exactly. positive side, isn't that it? Yes, yes. Actually, positive energy is very good for you. The negative side of the pyramid can be quite dangerous. It can drain you so much that you can pick up any virus, anything that's going. Also, it can cause a splitting headache or a complete upset of the nervous system. But if you use the positive energy quietly and very, very wisely, it can't hurt you. It can only do good. From the point of view of the importance of positive and negative uh, and polarity in ordinary, everyday divining, um, there is one point which you can note. As, as I said before, the body is divided into positive and negative aspects, and you can establish that there might be different strengths of positive and there might be an imbalance at any one particular time. In order to douse efficiently and effectively, you must have a balance of both positive and negative. And uh, as many dozers will tell you, after uh, any length of, of, of dozing at all, dozing for maybe 10, 15 minutes or longer, you will become physically exhausted. If after that time you decide you want to check your own balance between yin and yang, you will see uh, fairly clearly that there is an imbalance. Perhaps either the positive or the negative aspect has gone. Mm. So Actually, that here again the pyramid can come in, because if you hold an aluminium pillbox that you've charged within the central area, when you're exhausted, it'll actually restore the energy. You put your feet together, right up to the knees, and you put the two palms clasping gently around whatever you're holding. And after a few minutes, you'll feel a gentle tingling running up the left hand, if you're right-handed. That's your hand, which is negative, and it actually draws energy in. And you've created a physical circuit, a body circuit of energy. Well, you see, it's our contention that uh, dozing is a, works really on the intuition. And one aspect of intuition is telepathy. And we've devised several experiments here to show the telepathic function of a dozer. One of these, which I uh, discovered myself, I named it the violence chart. And uh, it, worked on the, it worked on the principle that a person has a good chance of 
getting telepathic information about any proposed violence which could be done to him. So what we did was this, we composed a chart and it can really um, comprise of any instrument of aggression. For the sake of this chart here we have poker, knife, gun, poison, gas, scissors and hatchet. Now what I'm, I'm going to do an experiment now. I'll transfer my aggression we'll say and I'll uh, choose one of these implements and I'll telepathically communicate it with a friend of mine over here who's a dowser and he has John Cal and John has a pair of angle rods which are used in the profession in divining and once we get to the instrument of aggression about a couple of feet long yeah, they're about, about two feet long mm. once we and get to the correct one uh, he should be able to get it telepathically hand. exactly they're also known as the right angled rods so we'll start it now John will we Now, as you see, John is going down through the list on the piece of paper. And as he gets to the um, implement I have in my mind, you notice the rods are going to close. You see they're closing now. Scissors. You're right, John. Yes, that's what I've written down here. Frankly, the experiment with the violence chart did not seem to me to be particularly successful, as indeed David O'Hagan admitted. The presence of other people, he said, can interfere with concentration. On a more practical plane, another Corkman, Michael O'Leary, who is interested in local history and archaeology, claims to have had an amount of success in tracing houses of historic or just personal interest. From my own experience, I was tracking down a house in Mary Street to find out definitely where a member of my family lived. Now, I knew that my grandfather lived in this particular house, but I wanted to find out did another member of the family also reside there at a date of 1812. And um, using the map and the pendulum, I traced it down, and as I came near the little house on the Ordnance Survey map, the pendulum began to quiver, and when it came on the house, it swung clockwise, which means yes. Now, I did another house also in, um, in Adelaide Street. I was tracing down a house which John Fitzgerald, the Bard of Lee, resided. And I didn't know the exact house. But I did the same process. And he said, did I? So there must be a connection somewhere between divination and questions that you're asking. And they must be of a serious nature. Flipping questions, flipping questions is one you get an answer, but it's usually wrong. But as a source of tracing history, it's quite an interesting one. Well, even large scale maps now, obviously, the actual location is going to be a very small spot it on is. the map there. Is it very difficult to, to place it? Well, the experiment on the right side was running a pencil down the side of the Ordnance Survey map. Was this a one-inch map, half-inch? Well, it really makes no difference. And suddenly, someplace down, the pendulum swings. You mark it. Then you go to the bottom of the map, and you walk away, back up, and you find that the same spot it swings again. You draw a line across, you do the same on top, and where the two intersect, roughly the area. Michael O'Leary may specialise in finding historic buildings. Dick Pierce, a veterinary surgeon from Listole in County Kerry, specialises in finding missing bodies. In my... Of course, I found about 38 bodies altogether, 
But in the course of the, of the finding of the bodies, I have also, at times, come to the conclusion that the body would never be found. We had one notable case there now. You don't like mention names. We had a case in Valencia of a man that went out over the boat diving in a diver's suit. And we had the Aqua Club down from Dublin for two whole Sundays. They could take me out everywhere, around Lyles and everything, and they could blindfold me. And I'd bring them back to this particular spot every time. We'd drop a boy there. And we'd, they'd, they'd dive around it. And dive they'd, with a rope. They couldn't miss it. And then I went home and I sent a message to his parents that that boy would never be found. And that boy has never been found. And on, on a, num- a, number of occasions, a number of occasions, I have come to the conclusion that the person would never be found and they were never found. And I couldn't tell you why I came to that conclusion myself. And on other occasions then, I'd be absolutely certain that I'd be able to find the body. I remember one particular case uh, in the seaside that was after I went to mention the name of it for obvious reasons. And my, I, I went the night before, this boy was missing, uh, a lovely young fellow, uh, and he was missing for about seven or eight days. And <clears throat> he, the night before, I rang up his parents, and I told them we'd find him the following morning. The sea had been rough all the week. I have a boat of my own. And uh, the following morning, anyway, uh, there were seven di- di- divers there. And I had mapped a, a, a part of, of the sea, about an acre. And they had joined in the rope, and they had gone along. They had used three quarters of an hour of gas diving. And it was a lovely morning, and kind of a frosty summer's morning. And they, apparently they never looked up because we marked him down at home in my own farm, marked him down the map, went over there, put up, I went up and I was, uh, I was being watched by his, actually accidentally by his brother and two or three other people with, with, uh, with glasses from the shore. And I got up in the front of the boat like Moses would, and I said, the tide must have taken him up that way. And it, the boys turned the board up that way and he was there right in front of us in the water. Picked him up. While some diviners specialise, others diversify. John McIver's interests range from diagnostic divining, as already mentioned, to oil. I, I definitely state that there is oil off the coast of Connemara. And I, that was published in some of the newspapers. But nobody took me up on it. And I haven't got the money to explore it. And I also went into the people who had found uh, gas off the Cork coast, and uh, I, I went over their maps, and they told me that I was quite right in what I had said, but apparently they had, had, had to give up the exploration for oil anyhow in that area. They found gas, but no oil. The actual name... The scientific name for divining is radiesthesia. Now, radiesthesia is a hybrid word, which means sensing by radiation. Everything radiates, even a piece of wood, a ruler. Everything radiates. There are rays emitted from everything. And if you can work on a map, Instead of working on sight, the name given to it is called teleradiesthesia. That's doing it from a distance. Doing it from a distance. That is uh, divining from a distance. Yeah. And um, divining has its uses too in archaeology, local history, things like that, discovering 
information about the past. Yes, divining in that connection, I have in in connection with uh, archaeology, I have been interested in the Wood Key site, and I have definitely found the position of Isaldi's Tower and also St. Olaf's Church. Now, they do not really agree with the, with the locations marked on the, the recent map that has been produced, an excellent map, really, but uh, I'm to have a visit shortly from somebody who, who made that map. But my, my findings have, have been corroborated by two other people whom I know have the same gift as I have myself. So the field of the diviner today is very wide and we've deliberately left out of account the current craze for metal detectors and the like which can make a prospector of sorts out of every one of us. But whether divining works by black magic, development of brain muscle, a highly applied intuition, cosmic energy, radiation, telepathy or mere common sense and observation we'd like to think that John McIver's ideas of harmony in the diviner himself and his surroundings have something to do with it. Now, if a person plays a C and an E on the piano and plays them simultaneously, that is harmony. Now, the, pe- the pendulum will gyrate for that. But if, if the person plays a C and a D, which is disharmony, well, then it doesn't move at all, which means that there is disharmony, you see. And the, the peculiar thing, I, I carried that a, a stage further and I said to myself, if that works for musical notes, it should work for people. So I thought of people, some friends of my own, as a matter of fact, and uh, now this might be auto-suggestion, you see. You have to be very careful that it's not auto-suggestion. And as a matter of fact, I found, thinking of two people, naming them, say, with our Christian names, I found that it gyrated for them, which meant they're in harmony. Now, other people whom I know are not just so friendly, perhaps, as it could be, it didn't move at all for them. So I said, that's disharmony. (laughs) Maybe it'd be as well not to know some of these things sometimes. (laughs) I'll be bombarded. I I really think, you know, that... um, a, a, a diviner could be of considerable help on a pre-marriage council board. And so it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yes.